so much of our day and our psyche is driven by this constant self-talk. And once you stop and listen to it, that's actually the secret sauce. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how human minds create value from information and author of the book Thriving on Overload. Every week, I speak to incredible people who share how they use unlimited information to create massive value and keep ahead of accelerating change. If you want to learn more about this valuable topic, go to thrivingonoverload.com, which includes podcast episodes and transcripts, excerpts from the book, articles, You can sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to help you improve your habits. And there are also details on the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which guides you through the journey of amplifying your information productivity. That's thrivingonoverload.com. Building on my work on Thriving on Overload, I'm also focusing on the theme of humans plus AI to help massively augment your productivity using artificial intelligence. If you want access to a raft of resources, frameworks, guides, and tutorials, just go to humansplustechnology.com. If you find this episode useful, please do take just 10 seconds to hop into iTunes or whatever app you're using to listen to this to give the podcast a rating or a quick review. These are all free resources that would be massively helpful to me to make this project feasible and also help others to make this easier to find. On this episode, we learn from Elizabeth Gould. Elizabeth is a high-performance coach and the best-selling author of three books, including most recently, Feeling Fords, which has been endorsed by the likes of Tony Robbins. She is a founding member of Randy Zuckerberg's Leadership School at the Zuckerberg Institute and host of the Feelings Forward podcast. Elizabeth appears frequently in the media, including on NBC, Fox, and Office Hours Live. You can find more on her work at elizabethgould.com, E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H-G-O-U-L-D. In this episode, you will learn about feeling forwards, finding your golden thread, moving from aims to behaviors, and finding and using your inner justification. So keep listening to learn from Elizabeth's wonderful insights. Elizabeth, it's a true delight to have you on the show. Oh, thank you, Ross. Well, we had a blast when we recorded an interview earlier in the week on my podcast, and I was so intrigued by your ideas. So I'm very honored that you've had me on your show. So the premise is that, you know, we live in a world of accelerating change and, uh, it's uh, challenging. <laughs> and so I'd love to get your insights on how it is that we can cope, we can manage, we can thrive, we can succeed uh, and act better in uh, in a world of just moving faster and faster and faster. Yes, I look, I love that, that concept of overload. Just to, to share with you, overload of information to me is, is like conscious thought where overwhelm is like the emotional overload. And I love the, the yes. tweak to that, which I heard once, which is actually overwhelm is an abundance of what you asked for. If you're an entrepreneur and you want customers or orders or your widget or your app to be downloaded, you get overwhelmed when it actually all starts to happen. So I love I love that tweak on on your language and the work that, that you do. But I think the most important thing in a world of overload and sometimes overwhelm is to be able to find your own path forwards because that's getting increasingly difficult. The amount of information, as you well know, that we have available to us, particularly in the high performance and self-development space, is is incredible. There's a new best-selling book telling you how to think, feel, work, start your business, coming out, uh, what, every day, every week at least, if you look at even just the New York Times bestselling list. So 
What I like to do with my work, which is is contained in my latest book, Feeling Forwards, but really take a step back because I think personal development and how you you cope and um, succeed in life has been a little bit hijacked in terms of it's all about thinking. It's positive thinking. It's our thinking patterns. But if you strip that back, you can't think hope and confidence. That's an emotional reaction and it's almost a, a physical gut reaction as well. So what I do with my work in Feeling Forwards and also the um, Success Maximizer method is take it back and like, okay, let's start with the fundamentals. What is your aim? And then we build on that to, well, what's your inner justification for that? And then what are the behaviours? And the example I love to use is elite athletes understand that success is backwards and also success is very emotional. So an elite athlete will train, sleep, eat, think, believe like a champion probably five or six years before they've won a major race. But at the moment we think, well, we have an avalanche of overmotion of, of information. I see that particularly with entrepreneurs that they get, you know, 55 ways to scale their business plan, everything else. And they say, okay, well, I have to do all this stuff. And once I've achieved a level of success, then I will get a finance guy to sort out my finances. Then I will lose the 20 kilos. Then I will get eight hours of sleep. And it doesn't work that way. Success is actually backwards. So for me, feeling forwards is, is really cutting through the clutter and starting with, okay, where am I? Where do I want to go? And how can I bring the future into my present to make that happen? So I really think that distinction between the emotion and the, I suppose, the, the pragmatics of it are, uh, is a really valuable one. And, and again, this you know, echoes quite a bit the, the messages in my book. I suppose you start with purpose, and then yes. it's around, well, what are the behaviors that you enact? So digging into that, how, well, perhaps let's start from the, the aim. When mm-hmm. you're discussing that, so how is it that we can find that? And one of the th- the challenges today is that you know everyone's saying purpose, 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 <laughs> and uh, so everyone's saying, oh, what's my purpose? And and it's, I suppose, part of my framing is that it's, it's a journey. So it's not as if we sort of find it and it's there necessarily. But I'd love to first get your insights into how it is we can uncover our aim, which can then shape our behaviors. Yes, and I love that in your work you use the word purpose rather than goal, um, and it, it's seen as quite controversial when I say, "Look, you set an aim, not a goal." And I started, I started down that journey in a, in a bit of a, an unusual way when, in my previous corporate life, I interviewed the head of human resources for the Sydney Olympics, who was an incredible man, and we're talking through his his career. I was an executive. Um, uh, recruitment at that time. And I said, what do you think was the greatest achievement in your role? And he said, no one killed themselves. I went, okay. Um, and he explained that in every modern Olympics until the Sydney 2000 Olympics, at the end of the Olympics or shortly thereafter, sadly, one of the management team or more than one had killed themselves. And he got the role of HR director and, and learned of this pretty horrific statistic and thought, well, what, what can I do? So, and from the very moment anyone joined the Olympic organisation for the Sydney Olympics, they would, everyone talked about what was going to happen after the Olympics. So, okay, this is great. This is your role, but what are you, what are you looking for beyond that? And his was the first Olympics where 
no one did actually kill themselves. It got me to thinking because at the same time I've always been fascinated in my work with with elite athletes and so many I, I think wasn't wasn't Michael Phelps initially, but some Australian women's came out, swimmers came out and talked about how they battled with depression. And then Michael Phelps came out and talked about sliding into depression while he was standing on the podium getting his gold medal. And it started me thinking, okay, there's there's a couple of really interesting links here because we know elite athletes uh, encourage so heavily to visualise that moment, to visualise getting the gold medal every time they get in the pool, every time they run a race. I thought, okay, so what's missing from this? So a little bit like your purpose, I thought, well, what if we swapped that for an aim? And what if, instead of, you know, if you think of a goal as like running through a dark tunnel and there's a light at the end and all you're doing, your whole life is focused on getting to that light at the end with firstly no thought of what's beyond that light, but also whether or not you're actually going to make it. So I thought, what if we could have an aim And instead of that picture, have a picture of running along a track, but there's open field either side. So when I talk in retrospect to someone about their aim, it's like, oh, I really wanted to get into med school, but I failed. I didn't get into med school. I was like, well, let's go back. Let's look at the golden thread of all the decisions and the interests you had up to that point. Were you interested in... uh, finding a cancer cure? Were you interested in helping people? Were you interested in the mind-body connection? And starting to unpack that. And then they get to a point where they realise, well, actually maybe it was that it was broader than just being a doctor. I don't have to have that sense of failure. I can actually go back and revisit, well, why I was even interested in this area in the, in the first place. And then if you if you apply that same principle of running through an open field instead of a dark, skinny tunnel, And you think, okay, we all know as we get older, we have family issues, financial issues, health crises, um, COVID (laughs) that can really knock our careers and what we want to do off course. So if you think of heading towards an aim, and there's a concept I use called the, the golden thread. If you look back over the decisions you made, even as a child, did you go and play outside or did you stay inside and read a book? really basic stuff. If you join all the things that you chose to do, you do see a golden thread weaving through your life. But once you find that, it's much easier to make a decision on what my purpose is or what my aim could be. And if it changes, there's not that same sense of failure as if you haven't reached a a goal. Well, that's one of the things where it's, if you tie it to something specific, then either you don't achieve it or you do achieve it, in either case, you're kind of lost. Whereas if you're understanding what it is that motivates you or what the direction, where the direction comes from. And I sometimes, you know, think that I wish I, when I was a child growing up that I'd made a list of all the things I wanted to be when I grew up to, be, to discover what, what was a little bit of that thread of who I was and who I was becoming. And, and I have uh, actually kept a journal since I was 16. And oh, wow. I do refer back to my late teens and early 20s journal very often to say, am I on track from who I was then? Am I proud of, would I be proud of myself uh, from from that perspective? Oh, I love that. That would be so interesting because so often every every kind of high performer, whether it's an athlete or an entrepreneur or um, a philanthropist, 
has a view that when they get to a particular point of success, however that's represented, whether it's financial or big house or whatever, that they're going to kind of become some magical different person. And I say, you know, it doesn't matter how many bestsellers I write. I know I hate roller coaster rides. I have to have my plate heated so my dinner is hot. I like to have a bath at the end of the day. That's not going to change. You're actually going to be the same person. It's not that you don't become a future self as a different person. You embrace different behaviours that get you there, but you're still the same person. I mean, that would be so fascinating to go back and and to read those journals. So having uncovered the aim or the golden thread in your life, how is it that you identify the behaviours which will support you know, that aim or direction? And I suppose even harder, how, how do you enact those behaviours? Oh, I love that you've asked this question. So that is a great question. And one I, I was grappling with when I wrote Feeling Forwards. But what I, I did, I had a couple of clues. I actually dived into what is still the acting Bible called The Art of Acting by Stella Adler. And it's it, it, method acting is another word for it. But she she talks about how you, so let's say, for example, if there's a scene in which you're supposed to cry. She said, don't think of when your grandparent died or your cat died or whatever. You have to be the character and be sad as the character for that event happening. And around the same time, I came across a quote by the fabulous Kerry Grant, who, if someone's not familiar, was the Hollywood man. Think the George Clooney of 50 years ago, debonair, dashing, fabulous. But when he arrived in Hollywood, his name was Archie Leach. He was the son of alcoholic parents. He had nothing. But he had a quote about how he approached his success, which was, I decided to become someone until I became him or he became me. And I thought, okay. So I developed a framework of every kind of category of behavior you can think of. What are you reading? What are you eating? What time are you getting up? Who are you hanging out with? There's about 17 of them. And then I do an exercise in my high-performance coaching, which is, okay, imagine you have achieved the transformation you want to achieve. Let's not worry about how you got there right now because if we all knew how our life was going to turn out, we'd just give up. You know, we don't have a crystal ball. It doesn't come with us. So forget about how, but say to yourself and remind yourself during the day, okay, if I was as you are, an incredibly successful, internationally acclaimed speecher and futurist, would I be watching this crap on Netflix right now? Or would I have something to prepare? Or would I be reading an article for my speech? Or if I wanted to be on morning television and I was getting up at three or four o'clock every morning, would I be going to bed at 11 o'clock at night? And you, it's a, it's a, it's a Kerrick Grant principle. And once you can emotionally connect, once your imagination gets going, then you have, you just catapult yourself so much more quickly to getting where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. This, this goes to the, um, the concept of congruence, which is essentially that you act what you, what you say, and hopefully what you think and what you do are aligned. And somebody can look at you and say, the way they behave is the same as the way that they speak and what they're speaking. You can tell that people are incongruent sometimes. They say some things and do something else completely different. Um, and we think about that congruence, so this uh, alignment really of who you think you are, who you say you are, and what you do. It, it really comes down to being integral. 
Because if not, you're a divided self. You know, part of you is doing one thing or saying one thing, and part of you is doing that other. And so it is ultimately about integrity. You becoming a single, being whole, rather than divided between what it is you say, or what it is you think, and what it is that you actually do. Yes, and I agree. I love that word congruence, and I, I think that is is a much more powerful word than authenticity. I, I don't think authenticity reaches where congruence does. And mm. just as uh, Aussies, I need to to do a shout out. I mean, you see people such as Hugh Jackman that embody that. So he's completely consistent in his behaviour on and off screen. And we can all think of a number of athletes or um, public figures. And we can also equally think of uh, a number of athletes, public figures, and dare I say politicians <laughs> who present one way and then have it illustrated in a very public way that they're not quite the way they would like to seem. Indeed. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. So what you're saying is that having an idea of who it is you want to become or the successful you, then to be able to look across these different categories of behaviors and see what behaviors would align with the, uh, you know, the you you want to be or you or aspire to be or, or you think you can be. Oh. So from there, how do you make the shift from your current behaviors to those more enabling behaviors? Ah, you've uncovered the missing piece in the middle, which is your inner justification. It's really interesting. So I, I balance these three elements out in a formula. And when um, a high performer comes to me and says, I'm working hard, but it's just not working. We look at these three elements. Okay, let's go back to what your aim has been. What's your inner justification and what are your behaviours? And they invariably say, oh, look, it's my behaviours. I really want to get up at four o'clock and, you know, do that. You know, the image of the highly successful entrepreneur, they hustle, they get up at four o'clock, go to the gym, et cetera, et cetera, which is not particularly realistic. But they say, oh, there's some things I want to achieve, but I'm self-sabotaging or I have these destructive habits. And yes, that may well be true, but it's like, well, it's not actually your habits and behaviours you need to work on because your inner justification was so strong, you wouldn't indulge in those habits or behaviours to start with. So let's peel it back let's and let's actually go back to your aim first because as we move through life, become more or less successful, the aim can vary, particularly with our emotional family lives as well. But what's your inner justification? And I often, um, I've been fascinated by the story of Tom Brady who I'm a huge fan of his discipline and his his regime and his his excellence. And I, he's come to his end of his career and he's obviously had an unfortunate final year and an unfortunate personal year. I think, yeah, well, what was your what was your inner justification and did you tweak that? Because if your inner justification is to be the best in the world at anything, there is inevitably a point where there's physical or mental decline or someone else younger, faster, whatever comes up. So that also has to move. So if your inner justification has that flexibility to, um, I'm going to be the greatest of all time, 
then that has to shift to, well, I'm going to be the greatest of all time and then demonstrate or then support people below um, that are coming up or be the best example of my ethnicity in this particular area or through being the greatest of all time, I'm going to do this. Because then once you have that inner justification that sometimes does need to be tweaked, well, then sometimes you've got new behaviours and habits that have to form. Can you give me a, a short definition of inner justification? Uh, what, what, what does that mean? Well, it's really... Um, your aim is really your aim is what you want to achieve or or how you want your life to turn out. But the inner justification is why. Now, you know, feeling forwards can be used for good and not so good if you like. You can you can feel forwards and, and create a life of the person you want to become for your own benefit. You may want to make as much money as possible and you don't care about anyone else and that drives you forward. And we see that that being driven forward a lot, but your inner justification might be, I want to overcome the challenging background I had. I want to, I want to repay my parents. In, in one of mine is my parents sacrificed, were unskilled migrants who came here who sacrificed everything for my education. Well, I have a very strong drive to create a life that pays res respect to that. But one of my favourite examples is there was a, a reporter who heard of twins. And I love stories about twins because obviously they're people of the same age at the same time who've been brought up in exactly the same environment. But twins are different in terms of their personalities and how they blossom. So one twin was homeless and one twin was a successful business person is what made them interesting. So the reporter decided to interview and ask them both the same question. And he interviewed the homeless twin first and said, well, to what do you attribute how your life has turned out? And the homeless twin said, well, I had no choice. My father was an abusive alcoholic. I had no choice to be this way. And then the reporter went to the successful business person and said, to what do you attribute how your life has turned out? And this twin said, I had no choice. My father was an abusive alcoholic. I had no choice but to be successful. Yes, it is all in our response. It's a very personal, it's, it's like in your soul. It's like you know that if you don't take a certain path, when however that works out, you realise that it's your time, you either regret it or you, you celebrate how far you've come. So it really is the, the why or the, the reason for your life. Exactly. And it's what gets you out of bed, what gets you out of bed in the morning, what what keeps you striving. I mean, you've you've had an extraordinary career and you've you've done so many different things to enable you to become a, a futurist. And if you look back at all the sum of that and what drove you forward, you could have settled at a whole number of points for less than you do now. You could have not tried as hard. You could have flumped a bit on preparing for speeches or whatever. But You've had an inner justification that kept you going forward. Yes, absolutely, and it's you know that's uh, exactly right. One of the reasons why life has been so difficult, in a, in a positive way, is that there are lots of places where I could have stopped off on the way. Oh, here's a decent business. You know, I could just keep on doing this business for a while, but I just I was never satisfied with that. I was wanting to just keep on saying, oh, well, I want to go on to the next thing. I want to go on to the next thing, and so which makes it hard. <laughs> Got to say. <laughs> But I, I wouldn't have been happy. But that's the biggest danger, isn't it? Because you do, as you just said, you get to that. It's a good business. And then you get the worst thing you can get is 
comfortable. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can safely say I haven't been <laughs> too comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I still think there's this gap. There's still this thing. So, uh, or even let's say somebody finds that they're in a justification, their why, their reason, what it is they're trying to do. So, that's obviously the single strongest thing which will get people across to be able to say, all right, yes, I will get up earlier or do my exercise or whatever it may be. But there's still so many blocks. And I, and I you talk, mentioned before this idea of the divided self, you know, this two parts of you says, oh, well, do I really want to? Or actually, I wouldn't mind a beer or <laughs> whatever it may be. So how sort of digging into the trenches of that, that you know, daily life, how, how do you continue to keep yourself on track? Even when you, you sort of you lose the power of that in a justification at moments. Oh, you are the master of follow-through questions. I'm so glad you asked that because that unlocks the other part of my my work, which I, I work in, in neuroscience and I've just become part of a global neuroplasticians hub. And my particular area of expertise is, is the lang- language in the brain. And the example I use is 4 a.m. Okay, 4 a.m. isn't a particularly comfortable time to get up. So let's say you have to get up at 4 a.m. because you're concerned that you haven't prepared enough or you need to work on one of your upcoming London or U.S. speeches. And you think about, you imagine, yeah, the alarm will go off and you've got a strong reason to get up and you probably do get up at 4 a.m. because you're a committed person, but you may not bound out of bed like a bunny rabbit. But let's say you were getting up at 4 a.m. to catch a flight because you had one and all expenses paid first-class travel holiday to the Caribbean for seven nights. And you probably would bound out of bed like a bunny rabbit. So so what's the difference? Because you're still getting up at 4 a.m. And the difference is the language you use to yourself. You don't think, you don't wake up at 2 o'clock and think, oh, gosh, I've only got two more hours sleep. Um, then I'm going to have to get up and do this speech. You wake up at 2 a.m. and think, oh, wow, two more hours and I'm stuck getting ready for the holiday. And language is so, so powerful and how it literally shapes the brain is is quite incredible. So I do a lot of work on, on self-talk. I'm not talking about chanting and incantations because what happens when a thought, a, a subconscious or an emotion then transfers across to the conscious brain is then you have, then you end up in the the survival brain because the brain really is designed the brain isn't designed to improve you the brain is designed to keep you safe to run away from the woolly mammoth that not eat the bright berries and not fall into a hole and all of those sorts of things and i read a very interesting couple of very interesting uh, comments but I'm not sure whether it was David Goggins, but someone, it was an instructor from the Marines, the US Marines. And you may have, or your listeners may have heard about a hell week, which comes right at the end, which is extraordinary physical endurance. You get virtually no sleep. You're running, you're swimming in the middle of the ocean. It's very, very hard. And at any time during hell week, if you want to luck, or if you want to leave, you just go up and ring a bell and you just leave. It's just not for you. So this is the last day of Hell Week and this is when all the physical stuff has stopped. And before lunch on the last day, and I'm, it's, it would be very triggering as so I'm not going to say what the video shows, but the video show, the Marines are shown a video of what could happen to them when they're captured. And then they go to lunch. Now, not surprisingly that um, after that event, a lot of people go up and ring the bell, but the instructor was saying he always notices a shift because 
right during Hell Week, he knows. All the guys are thinking, am I uh, really? What was I thinking? Am I really sure? But he said as soon as they articulate the thought, that's the point they give up. And he had a had a friend or um, someone he knew that was going through Hell Week and he was standing, he made it to lunch and that some someone else had rung the bell, but the guy was standing there with his tray and he said, I don't think I'm up for this. And coincidentally, I was watching uh, Naomi Osaka, a documentary yesterday, and she was having some challenges when she was defending her US Open uh, title, which she, she didn't. And she was being interviewed after and she said, I, and I saw her face change, I, I, I don't think I have the champion mindset yet. I'm thinking, oh, you said it, damn it. <laughs> don't say it, don't say it. So, so much of our, our, our day and our, our psyche is driven by this constant self-talk. And once you stop and listen to it, that's actually the secret sauce. Because you can actually, if you, let's say, go back to my example of springing out of bed for your um, Caribbean holiday. Take out the Caribbean holiday and just say, I'm really excited about getting up in the morning. I'm really excited about tomorrow. I'm just excited because it actually does change your physiology. There was this brilliant uh, experiment done by uh, Harvard psychology um, professor, Ellen Langer, and she did it with regard to sleep. So there were three groups of people all sleeping these college students, um, one went to bed, regular clock, regular time. They woke up during the night, looked at the clock. One group had the clock set an hour faster and one group had the clock set an hour slower. So the people that woke up and the hour was, the clock was faster and they thought they actually had got one hour's sleep more than they thought, their biometrics of their their physical biometrics were the same as if they had had an hour's more sleep. And they told themselves, oh wow, I've had, you know, I've I've had all this all this sleep. But they hadn't. They'd had an hour less. But their body reflected what they'd told themselves. Absolutely, yeah. We shape our reality in many ways. So to round out, um, you You've obviously written many books around this, so uh, it's there's a wealth of material in there. But want to just put you on the spot and mm-hmm. to just give a few recommendations for those who experiencing overload or in a world of accelerating change. What are a few things that they can do to thrive, to prosper, to create the results that they want? Well, I'm actually going to echo a lot of what you say, Ross, and that—that that is, if you don't want something in your head, don't take it in to start with. You—you you become what you think about, and you create what you feel is your focus. So, if you have a path, and I'm not saying that um, a high-performing, high-achieving path is the road to happiness. If it is for you, for great. If you're you're very happy with letting your life unfold, just be careful what you let into your mind because um, I, I remember when my children were younger and they used to watch stuff but they want, used to want to watch something and I'd say, well, you realise you can't unsee it and you can't unread it. So have that in mind before you even start. And what what you focus on creates your life and creates your future and you, you can create your future. I love one of my favourite sayings is Abraham Lincoln said, if you want to predict your future, create it. And what you notice 
and what you focus on will create that future for better or worse. So where can people find uh, more about your work and your books? Yes, well, please go to elizabethgould.com and my books are on Amazon. I'm very grateful that Tony Robbins endorsed Feeling Forwards. He's been such a great mentor for me. Um, and LinkedIn, my LinkedIn profile and my Instagram is elizabethgould underscore and that should get you pretty much everything. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your insights, Elizabeth. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Ross. The questions were amazing. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com, where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.